unsung heroes of the Bible, people that we don't know as well, or that um, people have lived in their day in great faith. Today we're going to look at part two of John the Baptist, and I thought we should read the text that will help us study the Word together. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open it with me to Matthew chapter 11, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 2. It's a good tradition to stand when the reading of the Word of God, so let's do that together. Matthew 11, verse 2. <clears throat> now when John heard in prison about the deeds of the Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to him, Are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? And Jesus answered them, Go and tell John what you hear and see. The blind receive their sight, and the lame walk. Lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. And the dead are raised, and the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? A man dressed in soft clothing? Behold, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. What then did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. Truly, I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than than he. This is the word of the Lord. Father, we pray that you will open our hearts to understand it, to line up our hearts with it, to believe it, press back every distraction, undo doubt, and bring faith to life in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This is a message I've been eager to preach to you. Do you believe in the words of Jesus? Do you believe Jesus when he says things in the Bible? There's an extraordinary statement in the Bible that we just read. I wonder if you caught it. It's a statement about you. It is an extraordinary word from Jesus about your identity in the kingdom of heaven. Verse 11 says this, Truly I say to you, like earnestly I say to you, with all truth I say to you, 
among those born of women has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he is. Jesus is saying something extraordinary about John the Baptist. Among all the, women, all the people ever born of women, no one in all of human history is greater than John the Baptist. There is a point of comparison that Jesus is making about John the Baptist to every one who preceded him, including Abraham, Solomon, King David. No one is greater than he is. He explains it, and I hope to point to you what is the point of comparison he's making and why he says that about John. But I also want you to understand that what he is undisputably saying is that one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is even greater than John. And that would include this audience. But why? This is the point of our text this morning. We have to look at two things about John the Baptist. One is his disorienting doubt. And what the Lord gives to him is an extraordinary commendation of who he is. To help us get there, we go to verse 2. Verse 2, and best way to understand why Jesus is saying what he said in verse 11, is to just flow through the text together. Now when John heard in prison about the deeds of Christ, he sent word by his disciples and said to Jesus, are you the one who is to come, or shall we look for another? John has been cast into prison. We'll look in a moment as to why, but he in prison, languishing for a number of months, he sends his disciples, who evidently had free access to come to him in prison and minister to him. He said, would you just go to Jesus and ask him this question, are you the one who has promised to come, or should we keep looking for someone else? This is John the Baptist. This is John who was out on the river baptizing people and, and announcing that you should repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins because the Messiah, the Christ, is coming. This is John who had scores of people from all over the region coming to him. They were coming from all over the place to see him. And now he was cast into prison, and from there he's having second thoughts. Is this really the Messiah? <clears throat> John had preached about the Lord. He had said of him, I baptize you with water, but when he comes, he's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And he will baptize with the Holy Spirit, and his winnowing fork will be with him. And he is going to thresh the wheat, and he's going to separate the grain from the chaff, and there will be unquenchable fire that will burn up the chaff. That's what's going to happen. And John had preached all of that. Yet here he was in prison. And from prison, he had been hearing that Jesus was healing people. He was feeding 5,000. He was walking across the water. He was doing all of these spectacular events. But I think John was in prison saying, where's the fire? Where's, where's the judgment? 
And John had questions in his mind because he was perplexed about what was happening. Remember, I told to you last week that John comes on the scene and his role in history of God's unfolding salvation story is he is able to grab the Old Testament in one hand and the New Testament in the other, and he is the prophet after a long silence. Silence is hard. It's awkward. But imagine 400 years from Malachi to John the Baptist. Not a word from God from the close of the Old Testament to John. And John was going to be the one who would prepare the way for the coming Messiah. And he's now in prison saying, what has gone wrong? Could I just stop for a minute and say to all of us who have been disappointed with God at one time or another, we're often hurt because we have a poor or insufficient understanding of the scriptural plan of God. And therefore we get discouraged discouraged to the point of saying, is this even the will of God for my life? I envision John being in prison at this very moment, needing a correct understanding about what's happening all around him, and so he asks this of Jesus. And oftentimes in our lives, because we have an insufficient understanding of who God is, what his plan is, from our human finitude, we do not know all that God has planned. His thoughts aren't our thoughts, and oftentimes our faith doubts. You ever had a doubt season? Come on. Had a doubt season because it didn't work the way you thought it was going to to work. Here's my hero, John the Baptist, in prison. Are you really the Messiah? We can't fault him. We, we, we listen to him there in that predicament, and we say, well, he didn't have a full understanding yet. And none of the disciples had a full understanding. In just a couple chapters, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is going to say to his disciples, who do people say that I am? Oh, some say you're Elijah. Some say you're one of the prophets. And, and who do you say I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Very good, Peter. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven revealed it to you. And I'm going to build my church on this truth that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that confession will be the foundation of the church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. You know who I am. You know what the next section talks about to Peter? Jesus began to explain to Peter, I must go to Jerusalem, I will suffer, I will be persecuted there, and I will be crucified, and I will die, and I will be buried, and on the third day I will rise again. And Peter said to him, no way. 
That will not happen. And Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You do not understand the full scope of what God is doing here yet. So I'm sympathetic to John the Baptist for not understanding everything and being in prison and being filled with doubt and Peter not wanting the plan of God because he didn't fully know it. But all of us with a poor understanding of the scriptures can be caught in a place of doubting God and then being disappointed. And that's how I think we see John here. So what does Jesus do? Well, compassionately, Jesus answers him. And in verse 6, Jesus answered and said to them who had come on behalf of John, go tell John what you see and hear. Give a report. And here's the report. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, and the dead are raised. And the poor have good news preached to them. And blessed is the one who is not offended by me. Now, what's Jesus doing? Because he's the promised Messiah, and he is in fact the Messiah who has come, and John has already said to people prior to going to prison, get ready, he's here, get ready, he's here. And then in prison says, is it really you? Jesus says this, I want you to tell John these manifestations of the coming kingdom that the Messiah was prophesied to bring about that the blind would see, the deaf would hear, lepers would be cleansed. Now John grew up in the wilderness meditating on the scriptures. He knew his own call came out of Isaiah 40. Do you think John knew where these texts came from? Absolutely he did. So when John heard back from Jesus, you tell him this is what's happening. John knew immediately that this was a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy, which you have energy. Turn left in your Bible to Isaiah chapter 35, and let me just show you something that's happening. In Isaiah 35 and verse 5, here is the Old Testament prophecy by Isaiah, which says, The eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. And then the lame shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute shall sing for joy. That's Isaiah 35, verses 4 and 5. And what Jesus is saying is, what was prophesied long ago by Isaiah is coming true in me. Tell John that. John, uh, Isaiah 61 has another one, if you can find that. Isaiah 61, 1. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And John, hearing from prison, would have known that when Jesus said, these are the manifestations of the coming kingdom, he would have thought of these texts. However, in each of these texts, Isaiah 35, in verse 4, there's a little line that Jesus doesn't quote. Behold, your God will come with vengeance and recompense of God. Vengeance is coming. And again, in chapter 61, um, the day of vengeance of our God is a phrase out of Isaiah 61, which Jesus does not cite to John in prison. So you have something happening here where Jesus is saying to the question, are you really the one? Yes, here's all the manifestations of the coming kingdom. They're here. 
but no judgment, no burning wrath. And John knows that Jesus excludes that, and Jesus knows that John knows that Jesus excludes that from the text, and John is languishing in prison saying, why isn't there judgment now? All you're doing is feeding these people and healing them and helping them. Where is the righteous day of the Lord to judge the chaff? I can see John struggling with that, can't you? And he's doubting. And Jesus says, no, um, the poor have the good news preached to them. And then this line, which is for every teenager in the room. Seriously. Anybody under the age of 25, I want you to hear a blessing from Jesus to you. Blessed are you if you are not offended by me. Your life will be blessed if you don't fully understand everything about Jesus, but it doesn't offend you. You know who he is. You know he's the Messiah. You know he healed the sick. You know he gave sight. He opened ears. He recovered people from death. And you'll be blessed if you are not offended by Jesus. This word is a word to John to say, hang in there, John. Yeah, the day of vengeance and wrath is not yet. But all the presence of the kingdom of God and its blessing and healing and and help to people, and forgiveness of sin, the preaching of the good news to the poor, it's here. But the day of judgment and wrath is yet future. It is as if the kingdom is already here, but it's not fully consummated. That's a good way to think about it. And John, in his place in history, remember, coming out of the Old Testament, and knowing all of the Old Testament prophecies of a coming day of righteous wrath, He's here. He's here, but he's not bringing all of that judgment yet. And Jesus said, don't be offended, John. You, you need to hang in there with me. The kingdom is coming slowly like yeast, like seed that's in the ground and is going to grow. But be careful that you are not offended if you don't understand everything that is happening in your world, John. And I would say that to every young person here today. There's a lot wrong with this world that Jesus promises to make right, but it isn't right yet. But that doesn't mean that the king has not arrived, that the king hasn't come to pronounce good news to us. He has, and he's here. So that helps us. And I hope it helps you in your doubt. More about that in a moment or 10 minutes. Okay? How you doing? You doing all right? Doubt can be disorienting, but you will be blessed if you don't get offended at Jesus. The second thing that happens in this text that follows is that Jesus gives to John the Baptist extraordinary 
affirmation and confirmation. It's in the next verses. I think Jesus could imagine that when these disciples of John the Baptist came to him and said, are, are, John wants to know if you're really the Messiah. Yeah, go tell him these things. And then they left. And as they went away, I imagine that the crowd that was with Jesus began to ask questions. Can you believe John lost his faith? John the Baptist. And they may have been chitter-chattering with each other about John and might have been inclined to sort of belittle John the Baptist. And so he says to them, what did you go out to the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? When you went to see John the Baptist in the wilderness, what did you expect to see? Uh, did you see a reed by the river Jordan that sort of blew here and blew there wherever it went? What's the answer? Absolutely not. You didn't see someone who was proclaiming the way of the Lord, prepared the Lord with some flimsy wishy-washy, vacillating conviction. No, John the Baptist was absolutely resolute. He is the one who said to a group of Pharisees and Sadducees, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? I mean, John was like a stout prophet of God, camel, skirt, locusts in his teeth, this is John the Baptist saying, you know, he, he was a strong-hearted, conviction-oriented guy. He was not someone who would twist in the wind to this or that. He was a straight shooter, the prophetic voice of authority, stepping out of Old Testament apostolic or a prophetic voice and calling people to repent. It actually was John who in chapter 14 had called out Herod. Was this a reed who just went where the culture went? No. It was John the Baptist who pointed out to Herod. If we can interject here. Herod, the woman you have as your wife should not be your wife. Herod had seduced his brother Philip's wife divorced his own, married his brother's wife, Herodias. And then he called out Herod for doing so in public, which is the reason that he landed in prison in Matthew chapter 14. Is this a reed that's pushed around by the culture? Or is this a stout, strong man of conviction? Jesus is commending him. Or did you go out into the wilderness to see a man dressed in soft clothing? People who are dressed in soft clothing are in the king's palace, and they have the easy, self-indulgent life. Then they dress fair and beautiful. Look at this man, John the Baptist. I mean, he is Spartan, to say the least, in every way. And he denies all pleasure. He denies everything so that he can accomplish what God wants him to accomplish. He's not a man dressed in soft clothing, Jesus says. Not a posh if you will, in our day. Let's do it in our day. He's not a prosperity gospel preacher. Right? He's preaching repentance. And bring forth the deeds worthy 
of knowing that God is who he is, and if you have to turn away from sin, then do it, is not a man dressed in soft clothing. What did you go out to see, verse 9 says. A prophet? Yes. You went to see a prophet of God. And I tell you, I circled this in my Bible, more than a prophet. More than a prophet. Yes, because this is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way before you. And this quote from the Old Testament, Malachi chapter 3, I send my messenger before you, is spoken of John the Baptist. So Jesus says of John, he is a prophet, and he's more than a prophet. He's more than a prophet because of this particular prophet. It is said of him, he will be the prophet compared to all prior prophets who will be in immediate proximity to the Messiah himself and he will be there as the one who will say, Behold your God. No Old Testament prophet ever said that of the Messiah. They all, in their way, pointed forward. And now we can study the Old Testament. We know that there are always these references to some mysterious unfolding of the coming Messiah. But John stands in time and history as the prophet more than any other prophet who is in time and space saying right there across the river, do you see that man? Behold your God. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, he is here. And Jesus attributes this praise to John the Baptist in his unique role because of his place in history being right there to say, this is the Son of God. See that? You need to see it before we go on. So shake your head if you see that. He's different than the other prophets because he's a contemporary, present, immediate, in close proximity to Jesus in the flesh. And that helps him. Because it is out of this that John's immediacy to Jesus, his proximity, is the key to understanding verse 11. Now John is greater than the prophets because there was actually a prophecy about him in the Old Testament, and it is fulfilled, and Jesus is saying, he's the one who introduces me to the world. So this is why John the Baptist is greater than David, greater than Abraham, greater than Solomon, greater than all who came before because of that. Now John is a really stout man of faith, but in this moment, he wavers a bit. But Jesus wants to settle him. So verse 11, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, yet one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now there's a point of comparison that we have to understand. I think I've made it. Jesus is pointing out that what makes John greater is his place next to, immediately with, contextually in proximity to Jesus Christ greater than any other Old Testament prophet. Now, if you will hear this, you 
are of even greater proximity to the work of Jesus than John. John's in prison. Matthew chapter 14, you read it. John's in prison because he didn't go along with the cultural wave, and he stood up and he said, your divorce is wrong. Your remarriage to your brother's wife is wrong. Repent. He paid the price. He went to prison. And in prison, Herodias eventually requires that his head be severed from his body and brought on a platter to Herod as a celebration. It's grotesque sign of human depravity. So John dies beheaded in prison, and what does John the Baptist not observe? Well, everything of the rest of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. And John does not have the benefit of seeing Christ go to the cross, die for sins, be buried, be raised again to newness of life. And John dies before seeing that. And I believe that's why Jesus said, the one who is least in the kingdom is greater than John because you are on the other side of the cross. You're on the other side of the work that John came to say, get ready, get ready, this is coming. And then today we are able to stand in this place knowing that Jesus came, he, he did all those things that are described in this text of healing and being kind, and then he went to the cross and he bore the, the wrath of God. He bore the suffering on the cross in order to atone for sins, in order to ascend into heaven. And now we know all of that. You are in a better position than John the Baptist was, knowing the whole history of salvation work. You get that? And I think that's why Jesus said, the least in the kingdom of God is greater than John because of what you now know. Make any difference? I can think of a couple things that make a difference if this is true. Even the disciples didn't fully understand all of this, but remember, Jesus is talking about what, who's great. John's the greatest, and the least in the kingdom is greater. Let's just talk for a minute about standards of greatness. What makes a person great? In our world, what makes a person great is your education, your wealth, your, um, your health, your strength, your speed, your beauty, your sexiness, fill in the blank. Like, what are the standards of greatness in our world? What is the culture telling us? This makes a great person. Number of likes. Hmm? You know, what, what makes you great? You have here a criteria given by God of what makes a person great. For God, it's understanding the flow of history through his son, that the one who understands who Jesus is and why he came. Remember, the question here is, Jesus, are you the one? And Jesus wants to say indisputably, yes, I am. And don't be offended if you don't get it all. If you don't understand it all, blessed are you if you're not offended by it. 
Don't be offended by that. The criteria of greatness is centered on knowing who Jesus is, that he went to the cross, that he died, he was buried, and that he rose again. It is the foundation of your self-identity. So again, if I could speak to young people today, as the culture moves us into chaos about what our identity really is, you with me? While the culture moves us into chaos about what it means to be who I am, Jesus is saying that the greatest source of personal identity in a confused world filled with doubt is to know that Jesus is the one who came. He is the promised Messiah. There is some uncertainty because the kingdom is here, but it's not fully consummated, but it's here. And you can trust him and do not be offended by him if you don't understand all of it. That's the point that he's making. Your life will be blessed if you do. It's foundational to our identity. We live this side of the cross and Calvary. And therefore, if John's message or, and work was to go and prepare the way for Jesus, what do you think our work is knowing all that we know this side of the cross? Hmm? Wait a minute, John was called, and John, I want you to be the greatest prophet ever to prepare people to receive Jesus. You will be the greatest prophet ever, but everybody after you will be greater than you because of their place in human history on the other side of the cross, knowing things that you will not know now. So what do you think is incumbent upon us on this side of the cross who are greater in the kingdom of God than John himself, but to go into all the world and preach the gospel and say of Jesus, he is the Lord Christ. And many people will be offended by that, but our mission is to do just that. And you can. If I could draw one more application as I close. John knew the Old Testament. And when Jesus said all these beautiful things are happening, he said, well, why isn't the judgment here? Today we can see how it unfolds better by studying the Bible, but there is a reason why you need to be in church every week. There's a reason why you need to study and read your Bible every day. Because you need to know how the Bible unfolds in its truth. And none of us have full understanding of everything. But in order to have the fullest understanding, we need to have the Scriptures speaking into our mind so that we know that the kingdom of God is here. But it's not fully here yet. And in this world, there'll be tribulation and trouble and discouragement and, and hardship. And you say, well, how can there be a God if I suffer hardship? You said, don't be offended by that. In this world, you'll have tribulation. And the more you know of the Scripture, the, the more grounded you will be in your knowledge of who God is, of who Christ is, and who you are, and you will be less threatened by crisis of doubt because you're rooted in the Scriptures. Listen, no sermon is going to transform your life.
Can you remember what was preached here two weeks ago? No sermon's going to change your life in and of itself. But the steady diet of God's Word in your life from this place and your study is going to transform your understanding of who God is. Study to show yourself approved unto God so that you now know that John stepped out of the Old Testament in the flow of all the prophets and he stood against the culture and he condemned sin and he called for repentance and he said, this is the Lamb of God. And then he died, and you are on the other side of the cross, and you know much more than John knew from our perspective. And so we study the Word of God so that you will be anchored in the truth when your storm of doubt comes and you're cast in a dark prison. Does that make sense? So let's take this from an unsung hero who fulfilled his call, was beheaded, and was called by Jesus, the greatest of all the prophets. But you're in line to be great in the kingdom as you pick up his work. Go and preach the gospel. You know it's true. Do not be offended by things you don't fully understand. You can trust him. Let's pray together. God, I thank you for examples in the Bible of men and women of the same constitution as us with frailty and episodes of faithfulness. Thank you for a word from Jesus to call us not to be offended but to believe in our hearts who Jesus is And I pray that you will rescue anyone in debilitating doubt this morning. That faith would awaken in their hearts to believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. I pray for some who might be here today on the verge of chucking it, throwing it all away, and saying they're disappointed with how things turned out. Lord, I pray in your mercy, you will show them the goodness of Jesus to heal, to give sight, to help, and to be kind, and especially to atone for sins and to forgive us. We want to say, Lord, we believe in you. Help our unbelief. We want to be rooted in trusting in the Lord with all of our heart and never leaning on our own limited understanding, but searching out these things about how your work in history unfolded and what we now know that Jesus died and rose again and he lives forever and he will come again as the coming king in judgment. But for now, Lord, let our hearts trust in you. We believe. And we believe for your glory and for our joy. In Jesus' name, amen.